I was scheduled this weekend and this service to do the announcements. I wasn't supposed to uh, speak, and uh, Pastor Toby Hall was scheduled to speak, and he had uh, booked himself uh, some time ago uh, for an event in San Jose tonight, uh, but he didn't realize that until this past week, and uh, and so he, as he asked uh, the pastoral staff if anyone would be interested uh, in covering him, no one said yes, and so he asked if <laughs> he asked if I would, and uh, after taking a big gulp, I said sure, and. Uh, And so I have about 59 minutes to preach, but I promise you, I will not take that long. I promise you. And uh, so tonight we want to continue in our uh, three weekend series on the fruit of the spirit as found in Galatians chapter five. If you read, if you'll stand with us as we read our text for tonight. Galatians chapter 5, we'll read verses 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You may be seated. Tonight, we want to focus our attention on the seventh of these fruit of the spirit, the fruit of faithfulness. The fruit of the spirit, as Paul defines them in Galatians chapter five, represent the character of God that the Holy Spirit is constantly seeking to work uh, in our hearts and into our lives with the goal of bringing us to a place of maturity as followers of Jesus Christ. And so every day the Holy Spirit is working to build in us love, joy, peace, and so on. Uh, And as we walk by the Spirit and deny or crucify the deeds of the flesh, more and more our lives will reflect the nature and the character of God. Now, to be faithful is to be trustworthy, to be reliable, to be responsible, and to be dependable. And when you think of that word faithfulness in spiritual terms, it's to be to stand true uh, for God's word and all that it teaches, even against great opposition. This character attribute of God is important because it has far reaching implications for every aspect of our lives. Now, there are three important things or truths that we can learn from God's word as it relates to the fruit of faithfulness. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes to his son Timothy, These things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able, who will be able to teach others also. And so the first important truth that we can learn from this particular passage regarding the fruit of faithfulness is that leadership and responsibility in the church are given to people who are faithful. 
The Lord will not give a person a position of leadership in the church until that person has proven himself or herself to be faithful. In the same way that people in the workplace are not promoted until they have proven themselves uh, dependable at the lower levels of the organization, the same is true spiritually. The Lord is always testing us, testing us through the various trials and challenges that we go through in the seasons of life. Every day we are being tested and the Lord is looking uh, to see who is faithful And those who are faithful, he can use to promote into positions of leadership and responsibility in the church. So that's the first truth. Leadership and responsibility in the church are given to those who are faithful. Our second truth is found in the book of Luke, chapter 16. If you'll turn with me to Luke 16. Jesus is speaking here. Luke 16, verse 10. Jesus says, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And so the second truth that we can learn about the fruit of faithfulness is that faithfulness in small things is a test for faithfulness in bigger things. And we see this demonstrated uh, when we look uh, in another passage of Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll turn there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 2. He's talking about criteria for being an overseer. And he says in verse 2 of uh, 1 Timothy 3, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Verse 3, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. And then notice what he says in verse 4. He must be one who manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And so we see here that one of the criteria for Being an overseer in the church, which is a big thing, is how you handle your household, which is a small thing, relatively speaking. And so how you care for your home and uh, and the condition of your children is a great indication uh, of how you will handle the church of God. And so it's important that uh, those who are seeking, in this case, Uh, The position of overseer be one who's found to manage the things of his home uh, well and thereby proving himself to be faithful and trusted with the larger task of being an overseer. And so the same is true in the natural world. That's like thinking that a supervisor of a person that manages, say, five people Uh, they, if they don't manage that team well, they will not be trusted to manage a department of, say, 30 people. And so the same is true in the natural as well. And so the Lord will not make someone an elder over his church if he can't manage his own family well. And so if his wife complains that he doesn't listen to her and doesn't respect her opinion, and uh, if the children are wayward and uh, the wife feels that he should be at home, when he's at work, uh, things like that, 
that's a pretty good indication to those who are in leadership that he's probably not fit for uh, the position of elder or overseer uh, in the church. And so the third truth that we can learn from uh, the scriptures is that we must prove ourselves faithful. We must prove ourselves faithful. And we can find an example of this in Second Timothy chapter 15. Paul writes to his son, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The Living Bible says it like this. Work hard so God can say to you, well done. Be a good workman, one who does not need to be ashamed when God examines his work. Know that his word said, know what his word says and means. There's an examination that comes with God's work and how we do in that examination will determine whether or not we are faithful and can be trusted with more. Before a person is ever promoted to be a teacher or preacher of God's word, he must study. He must know where to find God's word at. He must know what it means. He or she must be a proficient student of God's word before God will promote them to teacher of God's word. We must prove ourselves faithful in the small things before we will be given more things. And like Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he said, he who is faithful in very little things is also faithful in much. The opposite is also true. He goes on to say in that text. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. And he says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And so the Lord is always watching us, always testing us to see how we handle the small, seemingly insignificant uh, things of our lives. And if we handle those things well, it's a pretty good indication of how well we will handle the bigger things that uh, he gives to us. And so we must prove ourselves faithful uh, in the small things. And so the fruit of faithfulness is a very important character trait the Holy Spirit seeks to cultivate in the lives of believers. And God is looking for faithful people. It's people who are faithful that God can use to advance his ministry uh, of kingdom building here on earth. And there were co-workers that the Apostle Paul um, mentions in Scripture as being faithful. In 1 Corinthians 4, he mentions Timothy as a faithful son. In Ephesians 6, he says of uh, Tychicus that he's a faithful minister. And in Colossians chapter 1, Epaphras is called a faithful servant of Christ. In Colossians chapter 4, Onesimus is called a faithful brother. Silas in 1 Peter 5 is called a faithful brother. And then in Revelations 2, 2, Jesus describes Antipas as a faithful witness. And so these were people who were given significant responsibility in God's work because they had proven themselves faithful in the small things uh, that the Lord used to bring a testing and an examination in their lives. And so, brothers and sisters, God is looking for faithful people. He's looking for people that he can trust with leadership and responsibility 
in the church today. The question that we should ask ourselves is, have we proven faithful in our lives? Have we been able to handle the small, insignificant things uh, in our day to day lives? And that's a good question that all of us uh, can ask ourselves as we seek to be faithful stewards uh, that qualify ourselves to do God's work. And so there's five areas of life that I want to spend the rest of our time uh, talking about where we can prove ourselves faithful. And the first is to be faithful at home, to be faithful at home. And so whether we are single or married, we can be faithful uh, in our home. And as a single person, if you're someone that's looking to be married or to get married soon, you want to be careful who you allow into your life and into your home. Uh, you want to be very selective and very careful about uh, those individuals that you choose to spend time with and date. Um, and so, sisters, if you are dating someone and if he's a Christian, for example, and after dating him for some period of time, it becomes clear to you that he's interested in nothing more than sleeping with you, then it's time to let him go. Because you want to spend time with people who are interested in helping you to be faithful and true to God's word. And brothers, if you are dating a woman and she's very beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, she's not so beautiful. The Bible says in first Peter chapter three that we should concern ourselves with a woman's inner beauty, her uh, the Bible says a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth, which is precious in God's sight. And so we want to go after sisters who are not only beautiful on the outside, but also beautiful as it's defined by God's word on the inside. And so we want to date people who can help us to maintain a good Christian testimony to our married brothers and sisters. We want to stay faithful to one another in marriage. Christian marriages have sunk to such, not all Christian marriages, but some Christian marriages have sunk to such low levels today. And at the first sight of challenges, we are tossing around uh, the D word, divorce. And for those who have actually uh, moved forward with the divorce, um, oftentimes you'll hear, you'll hear people cite irreconcilable differences but the reality is that Jesus came into this world to help us as those who are following him to reconcile our differences. And so the Bible says that we must crucify the flesh and its desires. We must crucify pride in a marriage. Oftentimes, a husband and a wife will interact with each other from a place of pride. And there should be no place for pride in a Christian marriage. We are to die to pride. And to put on the spirit of humility and to sit down with one another and to work out our differences. Husbands and wives must work together to keep the spirit of Satan out of the home. There are too many Christian homes where Satan is having a party, having a good time, bringing division and unnecessary tension and fighting and and quarreling uh, and chaos in the home. And when. Unity is broken between husband and wife. It makes it easy for Satan to go after our children. The Bible calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And in another place, it says that we must dwell with our wives in an understanding way. 
And as wives, you are called to submit uh, to your husbands as unto the Lord and to respect your husbands. And so we must keep Satan out of our homes and ask the Lord to bring a spirit of peace and unity into our home and into our families. For those of us who are blessed to have children, um, whether old or young, we want to be good parents to our children. Small children need to spend time with their parents. And for those of us who are uh, working, we want to make sure that uh, we are not using the workplace as a sacrifice for quality time spent uh, with our kids. And one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is the gift of time. It, it means a lot, especially, again, for young children that they spend quality time uh, with their parents. And, uh, and if we're too busy with our work pursuits and other pursuits in our lives, we really miss out on that precious time that we'll never be able uh, to get back in those early years. Now, I recognize that some of us have very demanding jobs that require a lot of hours and and oftentimes a great deal of travel travel. And if that's you, I would suggest that uh, whatever time you can have, make sure that it's quality time. So if you're at home on the weekends and would like to just kick back and sort of relax, uh, think about taking some of that time and making sure that you take the kids out uh, and spend time with them. And when you're in the office on a late night or you're traveling to some distant city or country, use something like technology to help you connect with your kids. Technology is such today that we can set up video chats and uh, and we can use FaceTime or or uh, Skype, and we can spend 15, 20 minutes connecting with our children, finding out uh, how their day went uh, so that we can maintain that sense of connectedness and presence uh, in their lives. Uh, God has a word for fathers uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. He says, do not exacerbate your children so that they will not lose heart. In other words, fathers, we don't want to irritate our children to the point of uh, discouraging them or breaking their spirits. We want to be dads who encourage and build up uh, our children. And so we want to be uh, faithful uh, in uh, our homes. The second place where we can be faithful is to be faithful at work. We must have a reputation at work as one who is reliable and can be trusted to handle responsibility, uh, responsibilities that are given to us. We honor the Lord when we do this and we prove ourselves to be faithful. We should not be the type of employee who, when given a task to do and a deadline to meet, turns in shabby work and a day or two after the deadline. What a poor witness that is for Jesus Christ. I'm sure as a carpenter, Jesus was an excellent employee. If work started in the carpenter shop at 8 a.m., can you imagine Jesus showing up at 8.20, 8.25 with an excuse for why he was late? Can you imagine when a customer came to Jesus and they wanted him to build a table and he committed that he would have that table ready in one week and they showed up a week later? Can you imagine Jesus not having even started to work on that table? Jesus, I'm sure, came to work on time with all of the tools that he needed to do his work. And he gave his employer an honest day's work. If he told a customer that a table would be ready in one week, 
That table was done in one week. And as followers of Christ, we must be faithful in our places of employment. We must be good team players. We must be able to submit to authority. We must be thorough in our work. And when we have made mistakes, and all of us do, we want to be quick to correct those mistakes so that we can maintain a a reputation as a good worker. And so if you are in entry-level work, if you work in the mailroom or you stock shelves at uh, a store or you do data entry, uh, please be faithful in those little tasks because it's in that entry-level position that God is testing you and he seeks to promote you, but only if you prove faithful over those entry-level opportunities. Our Christian witness in the workplace is greatly hindered if we are people um, who uh, are hard to work with. If people feel that we're not trustworthy, uh, that we're very opinionated, that we're always late to meetings, that we don't receive feedback well, uh, and that we always seem to take uh, the discussion in different directions based on our own personal uh, pursuits, Uh, This hinders our ability to be a a positive uh, influence and testimony for Jesus Christ. Uh, Can you imagine Jesus being hard to work with, with all of the character traits that uh, that uh, he embodied? We can't be considered faithful uh, when we have a profile of someone who is unfaithful in the workplace. And so we want to be people who are timely, who are punctual, prepared, able to work with others, considered to be a delight to work with. And uh, and we turn in a quality deliverable to our employee when asked to. And so we want to be people who are faithful in the workplace. Number three, we want to be people who are faithful in money matters. How we handle money is a major determinant in our faithfulness. Whether we have a low income or a high income, we must prove faithful in how we handle money. Now, whether we know it or not, all of the income that we have, 100 percent of it belongs to God. And we must recognize that if we are we must recognize this, if we are going to be faithful in the use of our money. We can find something, uh, a few things, actually, from Scripture that we can learn about handling money. First of all. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he instructed his disciples to pick up the leftover bread and fish. And we can learn from this that God hates to waste things. Uh, He didn't want that to just go to the ground and not be uh, utilized and be productive in some way. And so we want to be careful how we spend money and we want to avoid wasting money uh, if at all possible. And then when it comes to giving to uh, God's work through the church, Uh, We have uh, in the old covenant, the requirement was that we would give a tithe. But under the new covenant, uh, the requirement uh, has less to do with quantity and more to do with the attitude of our giving. Uh, Go with me to Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Verse seven, Paul writes, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so under the new covenant, 
to tithe is not a bad thing. It's just that we're not required to give a tithe. We can give more. We can give less. But what's important and what uh, allows us to receive credit from God is the condition of our heart. So it's far better for us to give five percent, for example, of our income and to give that cheerfully than to try and give 10 or 15 percent and to give it grudgingly. And so we want to be people who uh, seek to give cheerfully because God loves uh, a cheerful giver. In First Corinthians 16, verse two, um, he says about giving to uh, the church on the first day of every week. Each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper you so that no collections uh, be made when I come. So as the Lord prospers us, we should give more to his work. And uh, and that should be the that's the standard that uh, the New Testament uh, gives us. And so whatever we give, we want to be cheerful in our giving. And if we are not cheerful, uh, um, we want to be cheerful in our giving. And so before we think, well, that's an opportunity for me to give stingily towards uh, God's work. Uh, Paul says in that same passage in Second Corinthians nine, verse six, he says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully or generously will also reap bountifully or generously. And so we don't want to think that because it's really up to us in terms of how much we give, that we can give uh, in a very stingy fashion and think that God is going to be uh, generous and bountiful towards us. We want to, uh, to take every opportunity to give generously and bountifully uh, towards the work of God. To be faithful in the handling of our money, we should avoid consumer debt. Credit cards have made it possible for people to live well beyond their means. But this is dangerous. When we use credit cards, uh, we want to pay those balances off each month, if at all possible. Because when we carry credit card debt and the interest rate is anywhere between 15 and 20 percent, uh, we can buy a refrigerator for a few hundred dollars and after several years pay several hundred dollars for that same refrigerator. And we've uh, not been great stewards over God's money. And so God has promised to supply all of our needs and meet and we must be satisfied with that. There is no promise in scripture that says God will supply all of our wants. He gives us things for our enjoyment, the Bible says. Go with me to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. In verse 10. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received uh, your concern. You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so Paul tells us that whether we have uh, 
whether we're hungry or we're not, we should be content with whatever the circumstances uh, are that we find ourselves in. And the secret of our contentment is that uh, we have a promise that the Lord will supply everything that we need. In other words, everything that he calls us to do, he will make sure that we have the money and the resources uh, to do those things. And so to be faithful in money matters, we should live at or below our means. Anything else jeopardizes our witness for the Lord. I've attended the funeral of uh, people and um, and some preachers, in fact, of God's word when they shortly after they died. And what I discovered was that uh, they left their wives with a great deal of debt. What a poor witness to leave our surviving spouse with a great deal of debt as one who is seeking to live uh, and reflect the nature of Jesus Christ. We don't want to leave our surviving spouses in that condition. We want to make sure that as we pass on, uh, that there's no debt that they have to be concerned with, but that they can enjoy their lives moving forward. And so if we have consumer debt, then we try to do more than what God has called us to do because we have a promise that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And so when we talk about consumer debt, I'm talking about uh, credit card debt. Uh, but that I wouldn't say the same is true for something like a mortgage. Very few of us can afford uh, to pay a house uh, outright. And so we have to get a mortgage through a bank in order to finance uh, the purchase of our home. But we want to get affordable mortgages. And we live in the valley where people are buying bigger and bigger houses. And uh, and it's easy if we're not careful to try and keep up with those people and overextend ourselves and obligate ourselves to a mortgage uh, that's too much given our income. So that's the third thing that we can um, Seek to be faithful in, to be faithful in money matters. Number four, we want to be faithful in our thought life. Be faithful in your thought life. We should avoid all impure thoughts. And this is where we need to be careful to protect what we see and what we hear, to protect our eye gates and our ear gates. There are television shows and movies and music and entertainment or Internet content uh, that can place in our thoughts things that are not glorifying to the Lord. And what's interesting about our thought life is that uh, nobody knows necessarily what we are thinking except God. And so those who fear the Lord will be concerned about the thoughts uh, that uh, go through our minds. And so we must be careful in this area. Uh, there's a certain amount of impurity that exists in the world just by function of the fact that we live in this world. So there are certain things that we see and hear that we simply can't avoid. And so we don't want to add to those things by exposing ourselves uh, to things that would further pollute uh, our minds. For a long time, I used to think that I could watch certain TV shows or read from certain magazines and books uh, that had impure images or uh, inappropriate stories. And I used to think I would I could be OK with that because I was uh, a mature adult. Uh, but in time, I learned that these things were further polluting my mind. And so if I wanted to preserve 
uh, my testimony for the Lord, I had to get rid of uh, those things that would further pollute my mind. We must be concerned about our about our thought life. And Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things as followers of Jesus. We are to think about the things that are pure and lovely and good and not things that are immoral and impure and uh, and unhealthy for us. If we think we can take a steady diet of these kinds of things and uh, and it not negatively affect us, we deceive ourselves. And so in addition to uh, impure thoughts, we want to avoid thoughts of jealousy, of pride, of bitterness and so many other things that can creep into our minds that are not from God, but are from uh, the world. The person who fears God is concerned with uh, their thought life. And there's therefore we want to be people who seek to be faithful in our thought life. And then finally, number five, be faithful in spiritual matters. It is important that we regularly give time and attention to our spiritual lives. And in today's world, We are constantly being challenged with things that can occupy a great deal of our time. And if we're not careful, those things can squeeze out um, time that uh, we could spend cultivating our spiritual lives. And so, brothers and sisters, we want to we don't want things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, various sporting events and shopping and hobbies and other Interests. None of these are wrong things, but we don't want to let these things crowd out uh, time spent uh, before the Lord. We want to make sure that we have adequate time set aside in our lives for disciplined study and reading of God's word. Because when we read God's word, we learn his ways. And the Bible says that um, his ways are not our ways. And so it's important for us. To learn God's ways, and we can do that through disciplined study of his word. Uh, We want to be people who set aside time for prayer. Um, God wants to hear from us, and prayer is an an excellent opportunity uh, for all of us to exercise our faith as we take our concerns before him and then see how the Lord responds to us in prayer. Uh, Church attendance is also important. We want to be people who are... Uh, surrounding ourselves with other believers who weekly uh, come together with other believers for praise and worship, for hearing uh, a word from uh, the Lord and uh, and for fellowship and support and encouragement from other believers. And then we want to take those opportunities just to get quiet before the Lord, to spend time uh, just between you and him and uh, allow him to search our hearts. And so we can prove uh, ourselves faithful um, in uh, the little things of our life. And let's ask the Lord to help us to be faithful in our homes and at work and in money matters and in our thought life and in our spiritual lives. So that to the end, one day we will hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand.